say amen to that today? Praise the Lord. Let's read in Revelation 22, if you would, verse 12 through verses 14. Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. And we'd like to be remembered today as we pray. Let's just bow our heads, if we would, in reverence to the Lord. Our gracious, loving Father, we thank you today for the opportunity once again to stand in your presence, Lord Jesus. We ask, Father, that you would help us, first of all, forgive us of our shortcomings, our trespasses, our failures, our mistakes, which we know are many. But we thank you, Lord, that truth and righteousness, mercy, and peace have met and resolve has been brought between them. Lord Jesus, we ask today, Father, that you take your word and speak to our hearts. We've come to your table once again, and as always, we're hungry, we're needy, we're thirsty. We love you, Lord. Your grace and mercy and ways are hard for us to explain. It's it's something that we never thirst for again once we get it, but we never get enough. So it's like we, once we find it, it's what we've been looking for all of our life, but it makes us want so much more. It's a mystery to us, but we love you today, and we just ask you that you'd help us in the service, Father. Speak to us your word, we ask, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. As you know, I've got a, a burial directly after the service today, but we've got too many wonderful things to look at today to rush. So if I get one-third of it said, that's fine. One-tenth, one-hundredth, that doesn't really matter. But what we want to do is follow the channel today of the Lord. I don't like putting God on no time frame, do you? <clears throat> we certainly want our hearts to be open to Him today. As we believe that we're a people that are privileged to live in the last day and the end time and know the wonderful things that God has done, is doing, and believing that the atmosphere that we are living in, the world that we're living in, is certainly under an influence of two supernatural worlds, the worlds above us, the worlds beneath us, as we've been reading it for a few weeks to draw our conclusion, to help us to see why people do the way they do, why they live the way they live. It's not just by mortal choice, we know that, because man in the Garden of Eden, of course, was placed on that basis to be able to choose right from wrong and which way to go. Uh, but yet there was greater influence in the Garden of Eden than what was visible 
to the natural eye. That was the influence of the tree of life and the influence of another being which was there. And we know that that influence is still ongoing today. Been looking at the tree of life and the restored fruit that God desires to be on the bride tree in the last day. <clears throat> last week we looked at peace and what a great thing peace truly is, is it not? We know that peace has certainly been taken from the earth in the measure that God had it. There's no way that you and I can comprehend today, even those of us that are filled with the Holy Ghost, the amount of peace, the quantity of peace, and the quality of peace that existed in the earth before man ever fell. What we know today, even with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, as wonderful as it is, and what God has restored to us by that, it would pale in comparison to what that peace must have been in the paradise of God. And yet we know that he desires to restore us back to that place. I believe that with all of my heart. As we get closer and closer to the influence of heaven itself expressing itself upon the earth, I believe God desires the fruit of his own life, of his own nature to so permeate us. If hell is influencing the people that are on the earth and they are reflecting hell, acting like hell, talking like the attributes of hell, then truly there must be an influence of people on the earth that are going to be able to reflect God's grace. I believe that, don't you? And we know that the prophet told us that We'll jump down the middle of this quote here. You cannot be a spiritual being, sinner or saint, without having an influence from the underworld or from the above world. Your influence from here, if you're from above, your celestial body is waiting up here. If you're wicked, hypocritical, and indifferent, your celestial body is down here, regardless of how much you think it's up here, because the fruit that you bear before people proves not just where you're going, but where you're from. So you are here what you are somewhere else. Your life that you live here is just a reflecting of what your inheritance is when you leave here. We believe that with all of our hearts. And we know that this is the reason the darkness is so pressing in the age and the hour we're living because hell, according to the Old Testament prophet, has opened up her gates and the influence of hell is so pressing out. It's hard to believe that our world, our nation, is reeling under the impact of such darkness. And yet, no matter what we do, we will never reverse it. It'll never be reversed until Jesus comes and takes it over again. We could put an Abraham Lincoln and have to be mayor of every town. We could put a George Washington to be the governor. We could put all these great men that have been our forefathers, Thomas Jefferson, to be able to be in, in every little magistrate. We would never reverse it. Because the cycle of darkness is moving and hell is so emptying out. It's as if though that God is allowing it to come to such a place. And we know that it's been this way in previous times before. Before the Andaluvian destruction, there was such a violence that moved upon the earth. And it's one of the signs of destruction that moved upon the earth in the days before Noah received the revelation from God that a flood was going to come. And the Bible 
Bible mentions the horrific sins that was there. And one of the things that so stood out to the author of the book of Genesis was violence was upon the face of the earth. And we can see that thing reoccurring again. We see also under the administration of the red horse under the opening of the second seal that great power was given to the rider of the red horse that he would take peace from the inhabitants of the earth. Now we know that peace has not been here like it should have been since the very fall of man. But yet through this we see that somehow the administration, which the red of course was a symbolism of a color, the horse was a symbolism of a power, and the rider upon there was an administration by which all of that coming together, that through that power was given war, and the war, one war after another after another, and by that it pulled peace from the inhabitants of the earth. So they came through a cycle on the earth that they were able to have peace and then war would come and then they'd have peace and war would come. And we know that the merging together of these white horse riders and the colors of the horses is consummating in the end time to wind up in the pale horse. So we know that peace again is certainly being taken from the inhabitants of the earth. But on the other hand, the real peace of God I believe is being restored as part of the fruit to those that are under the influence of the Holy Ghost. Oh, don't you appreciate the peace of God? Now, we know that mercy and truth must have a place of reconciliation. The justice of God must be met with the truth of God. God cannot be able to require something of man and say that man must be able to answer for all of this that he's done wrong and then God turned a blind eye as it was. But there must be a place of reconciliation to where that justice can be met. Notice this in Psalms 29, 11. The Lord will give strength unto His people. The Lord will bless His people with peace. Amen. The Lord will give strength unto His people. The Lord will bless His people. Now I want you to notice the designation of divine peace is not given to all the inhabitants of the earth. It's not promised to even those who just go to church, but it's promised to those who are His people. So if you today are struggling with the lack of peace in your walk with God, this is one of your scriptures that you need to write down and be able to quote it over and over again until this promise of God is made manifest in your life. Oh, but Brother Donnie, you don't know all I'm going through. You're right. I don't know all you're going through, but I know this promise is greater than all you are going through. So God gives us His Word and it's up to us to take that promise of the Word and we water that promise every day with praise and we allow God to bring that promise to pass in our lives. Right? 
Let me read it again. The Lord will give strength unto his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. Again, Psalms 37, 11. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now here the psalmist David moves plumb over into the millennial reign of the son of David and he's able to capture by inspiration what's going to transpire when the Lord Jesus is ruling and reigning upon the earth and he said the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now remember David was a prophet. He was a different prophet than Jeremiah, Zeke, Zephaniah, Haggai and so on. But yet he was a prophet and David was able to catch this in the future tense that the meek would actually inherit the earth and that they would delight themselves in the abundance so it wasn't that in the millennium that there would be you know a rationing of peace and we have to be careful with how much peace that we have because God does not have enough to go around Uh, but there will be an abundance of peace well let me just give you a little bit of insight I believe there's an abundance right now if we can be able to move beyond the worries the fears the dreads of life and be able to break into the avenue by which our abundance God has supplied it for us. Again, Psalms 37, 37, mark the perfect man and behold the upright for the end of that man is peace. Praise God. The end of that man is peace. Notice again in Psalms 8510. Again, the prophet David able to break into the inspiration and no doubt the man did not even have a clue, Brother John. The ending of the fulfillment of what he was fixing to say because inspiration would come to these men. They didn't always know why. They didn't know why they were saying it this way. They probably didn't even have the full comprehension. I'm share when this come out of the utterance of David's mouth or by the pen by which he was writing it that he must have unrolled it brother Gene and looked at it and marveled to the great meaning of it and he says mercy and truth are met together righteousness and peace have kissed each other listen to this again mercy and truth are met together Now watch as David sets forth about the justice of God, knowing that God was a just God, and then what God sets forth, the penalty of law, disobedience, and then God said that the penalty of disobedience to his law is death, then that can never be eradicated until the justice of God is met. So here goes mercy and truth. Mercy heads in one direction, truth heads in another and here they come and they meet in the way. One of them is seeking for the inquisition of truth to punish those who have broken the justice of God. The other one is searching for a way by which this can, the penalty can be met and offered to those who desire it a way to release them and somehow they meet in the way and when they meet in the way their differences supernaturally are reconciled and when they are met praise be to God when they are met in the way they meet in the way one searching for the inquisition
position of sin, the other, wing, the other one's searching for reconciliation. And David said, mercy and truth are met together. And listen, the fruit of it, righteousness and peace have kissed each other. So righteousness is given to truth and peace is given to mercy. And they were met in the way with opposite goals, with opposite intentions, yet they were met in one place. Where was that way? It was that way in St. John when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Any man that will come to the Father must come by me. In him was mercy and truth and righteousness and peace met in the way and reconciliation toward God has been resolved. Praise be to God. It was met by the price of our lovely Lord Jesus rendering to us what? The inquisition has been solved and the resolve has been met. Mercy and grace have kissed each other and we are the progeny of that union. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Notice Psalms 119, verse 165. Great peace, I love this. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now, friend, let me tell you something. I, you know, most of you have been saved for many, many years, for a long time, as I have as well. And one thing that I've noticed about a lot of folks, you can really tell a lot about where they are. You know, some people, they carry their feelings around on their shoulder, and they don't like this in church, and they don't like that, and this hurts them, and this offends them, and that hurts them. And what I've found out a lot of times through the years is that, that most of the time, those folks that are so easily offended about everything, it's not that there's so many offenses that are around, but really the reality of the problem is themselves. They don't love the Lord right. So they go to church with this, you know, well, I didn't like this, and I didn't like that. You know, really, they're not even satisfied with life in reality. They're just not satisfied with anything in life. And folks that are troubled with, within are always the troublemakers, which reflect that trouble without. People that have deep peace within, they are peacemakers, and they reflect that peace without. So people that just profess peace by their mouths, but are really troubled, within their soul, you watch everywhere they go. No matter whether it's on the job, whether it's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's in church, whatever it is, they leave a trail behind them of trouble because they are troubled within themselves. But you watch a person who has accepted the volume of the book, the Word of God, and they have transitioned by the grace of God into a sphere or a realm of peace. You watch the trail of that individual, and they will leave behind them one trail one mark after another after another of being a peacemaker because it's not in them to go around and cause conflict and trouble because our God is not the author of confusion but of peace 
Notice David said, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now I'll tell you, if you really love the Lord Jesus right, and you come here to church for five years, and within that period of five years, you're never able to shake my hand. You're never able to be able to get some, you know, some close intimate time with me and my wife, or say with the deacons or whatever more, and nobody ever brags on you, nobody ever lifts you up and calls your name and tells you how sweet and good and all that sort of thing you are in that but yet God's revealed to you this is where you're supposed to go to church and you love him and you love his word you know what if nobody ever speaks to you from now on the rapture you have great peace because you love God's word but if you're looking to be patted on the back and rubbed around and handled like a little baby doll and we got to give you a pacifier and a box of pampers and that sort of thing well you're at the wrong place I'll tell you that right now and no matter how many pampers we would give you in a box of pacifiers pacifiers and suckers, you'll never be at peace until you get that peace within yourself. Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Look at the value. I'm convinced, friends, that for many people, they do not hold peace in high esteem and high value. Even whenever it comes to family arguments and family disputations, what's most important to a lot of people is that they get their point across. And that you see their point, and they will not shut up until you agree they are right. You know why? Because that's what they esteem the most valued instead of peace. And whenever you've argued and fussed and debated and you've proved your point, what have you really accomplished? Because for the most part, when you get done, all they've done is agree to shut you up anyway. And they still believe what they believe before you argued with them. All they done is finally give in and you just, they said, you know, they're sick of hearing your blabber mouth. So they just, right, right, right. You're right, you're right. You're always right. They don't believe that. They don't believe that. No, you're the only one that believes that because you've deceived yourself. we really valued peace we would understand that it's not just us proving our point and trying to get the other person to agree with our point but the value would be peace I love peace listen to this Proverbs 16 7 when a man's ways please the Lord he make us. He don't ask us. He don't say, is it okay us? He make us. His enemies. You know why many of us have so many enemies and they're constantly on us? It's our fault. It's because our ways don't please God. Now notice, God don't always make your enemies your friends. That's not the scripture. That's not the marvel that God would actually make your enemies your friends, but God will actually make your enemies to be at peace where they just finally leave you alone. Uh-oh. Well, I guess I can close now. <laughs> notice it. Now, how many believes this is the Bible? You believe it's the truth. Now, 
Now, maybe you're having a problem with someone or more than someone, maybe two or three someones or somebody's. You need to apply the scripture to your life and make it one of your professions that God will take and make this word alive to you. Now, we do believe it's the truth. So, of course, Solomon wrote this and he said, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace with him. Why? Because the man is so desirous to please God. Now he's not trying to please his enemies. You see, that's where many people that misunderstand peace because they think that they have to compromise in order to be able to have peace. No, it's not pleasing the individual. It's pleasing the Lord. And then when you please the Lord, the Lord will actually make your enemies. You see, as long as it's us trying to do it, then we take it out of God's hands. But if we will please the Lord, the Lord will make our enemies to be at peace with us. Jacob, oh my, Jacob was followed by his father-in-law by a troop of men with bad intentions. He was met by his brother with another troop of men with bad intentions. But when Jacob got to a place where he could surrender all to God, both of them came with a troop. One of them left him with a kiss and the other met him with one. <laughs> Woo! Hallelujah! Laban coming. He said, I'll tell you one thing. I'm taking my daughters. I'm taking these sheep. I'm taking these goats. And God said, no, you're not. Jacob belongs to me. <laughs> so here comes Laban with bad intentions. I'm taking you to court. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And the other, and God said, Are you really? No, I'll tell you what you're going to do, Jacob. You are going to leave humbly and you're going to kiss him on the way out. And Esau hears him coming, Jacob's coming, Jacob's coming. And Esau said, I'll tell you one thing, I'll get that sorry brother of mine, low down sorry rascal. God said, really? God said, no, I'll tell you what you're going to do, Mr. Big Shot Esau. You're going to humble yourself and you're going to kiss your brother. Laban leaves with a nose. Esau leaves with tears. Both of them leave with peace. When a man's ways please the Lord. But wonder why this didn't happen before now. Jacob had not met God in the way of Peniel yet. But when Jacob comes to that spot, oh, come on, church. I wonder if that's why a lot of us, oh, this person don't like me. Oh, this person don't like me. Oh, maybe it's you. <sighs> Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, 
saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace. Praise God. And not of evil. To give you an expected end. What if God thinks thoughts of peace toward me? Well, I don't want to have so much peace. Because my thoughts ain't matching his. You believe God wants you to be tormented? You believe God will just absolutely hate you? And God wants you to barely make it and barely survive? That's not his thoughts. Now let's jump to the New Testament. Let's watch the Lord Jesus. How he sets us forth in such a strange, peculiar way. Mark chapter 9, verse 50. Salt is good. But if the salt has lost his saltness, wherewith will you season it? Have salt in yourselves. Wow, what a recipe for peace. So in order to have peace with one another, we got to have salt in us. Now, of course, this would never work at the UN. All the ambassadors to Iran and Iraq and, you know, India and all the places of the world, they would never take this on a, you know, on an emissary to be able to go and say, now we are here to bring peace and here's a salt shaker. Well, actually, the only way we'll ever have peace among us is for us to become the salt shaker. You see, Jesus never said carry salt in a bag or go down and buy a box of Morton's iodized salt or get you a box of kosher. But Jesus said in order to have peace among yourselves, you've got to have salt. (laughs) I figured y'all would have that look on your face because that's the look I had when I read this scripture. Now look at this. He says, have salt in yourselves. Let's look at the meaning of the word salt. Salt is a symbol of lasting concord because it protects food from putrefaction and preserves it unchanged. Accordingly, in the solemn ratification of compacts, the Orientals were and are to this day accustomed to partake of salt together. So to make meat savory and to keep the flesh from spoiling. Well, we can stand dismissed. Y'all got it. (laughs) So in order to preserve the flesh, hallelujah, and to keep the flesh in a suitable, presentable manner. (laughs) 
Praise be to God. Isn't this amazing now that the Lord Jesus actually says salt is good, but if the salt has lost his saltness. Now I want you to notice that he places this in the masculine form, that the salt is a him. So if the salt had lost his saltness, wherewith shall you recover? Now, you know if you've had salt very long, that in time, salt can actually go bad. Now, last year when Carol and I, brother Sister Lowry, that was there in Israel as well, and we went down to the Dead Sea, and of course it's salt everywhere. The great content of salt that's in the sea itself. But you could walk around on the banks and just see pieces of salt laying down there in the dirt. But one thing that causes the salt to go bad, especially in that area, is the mixture of gypsum and other types of elements. But this is why that they will purify the salt and get all the elements, the long tongue and gossip, I mean, you know, all these elements out because the salt in itself can keep for years and years and years and times and ages and ages until you get all this other stuff mixed in with it. And then when you mix all this other stuff in with the salt, then it don't keep the flesh subject like it should. And the old flesh is a stinky old thing. Come on, Happy Valley. The old flesh is rotten, and the old flesh don't like to be subject to the Word, so we got to pour salt in our old hide sometimes. That's why you need good hard preaching. To rub you right good. And that same preacher that tears you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, what's he do? He don't pour honey in them wounds. He pours salt. Now what's amazing is when the Lord Jesus sets his force about this in Mark chapter 9. He's actually dealing and referring to something that had happened in Mark chapter 9, verses 34, up to about verses 47. And that was situations that existed among the apostles themselves. Now remember, they are elect, they are chosen, but they're unregenerate. So they can only produce a certain element of the word of that day without the Holy Ghost. So Jesus now is going to deal with part of their issues and part of their problems and said, boys, I'll tell you what's your guys' problem. You all need salt. Now this is why you've got these issues. Now let's, let's look at these issues. In Mark chapter 9 verse 33, what's one of the things that will prevent peace from being in families, in churches, among brothers? It is self-exaltation and self-interest. Now, if y'all like, I could finish this sermon, me and there and y'all out here. Watch in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Now, remember, this is just prior to the Lord Jesus saying about Saul. He came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? but they held their peace. I've, I've been that way a few times myself. 
I've seen you all be that same way when the Lord gets on you all and y'all hold your peace. You don't say amen, you don't say ouch, you don't say nothing, you just, you're mummified. Come on. They held their peace. Now notice why they held their peace. For by the way, they had disputed among themselves. Oh. Now because they lacked saltness within themselves, they were focusing on who was going to have the biggest ministry. Who's going to be the biggest preacher? Who's going to have the biggest church? Who's the best singer? Did you notice they clapped their hands for me more when I sung than they did when you sung? I've got to sing twice in the last six months and you've only got to sing once. You lack salt. Now this is Jesus' cure for these types of issues. Now this is why a lot of times that husbands and wives don't get along. This is why a lot of times siblings don't get along. Now sibling rivalry goes plumb back to the Garden of Eden. And we ain't got time to get into that today, do we? But sibling rivalry is still alive and well today. Naturally and spiritually. So here the Lord Jesus is pointing back and saying, Look boys, your problem is lack of salt. You sisters, when you cook, do you taste it? Soup, pies, puddings, cakes, whatever more. Oh, I ain't got enough salt. Stir it up. About. See what you think. What does that mean? Cayenne? Is it garlic? Is it onion powder? It's missing something. Now look, you have done that long enough to know it's not tasting exactly the same way it was in Acts 2. I mean the last time that you made that recipe. So you see, that's what the Lord does to us sometimes when he kind of tastes of our life and said, you're missing onion powder. You're missing a little bit of garlic. You're missing a little bit of Acts 2. You're missing a little bit of Acts 2.4. You're mixing a whole lot of Acts 2.38. Why? Because the original recipe produced God in human beings. Amen. We want the same thing, do we not? God in human beings on the face of the earth. So, God tastes of our love. Mm. More brotherly love needed there. Oh, my. Mmm. Mmm. Way too sweet. Too much sugar. Them folks need some hide skinning going on down there. That pastor laying molasses on them all the time. And honey, oh, I need to send an evangelist down there that'll burn them up from one side down to the other and pour salt on them. And they'll... God said, there you go. That's what you need. I know we don't like it. We like honey preachers, don't we? Oh, that's our favorite kind. Oh, my. You see, another attribute that was missing in these boys was bigotry. Ah. Just in case you've forgotten what bigotry means, I'm going to read you the meaning of it. Obstinate or intolerant devotion to one's own opinions and prejudices. 
I'll repeat it again for those of you who wrote it down and for those of you who don't want to dare write it down. (laughs) Bigotry is obstinate or intolerant devotion to one's own opinions. A good dose of salt takes care of bigotry. But you have to keep it in there because you see, the thing of it is we're still left. We're a new creation left in this human temple and this human temple still has a rottenness. So it ain't like you get it cured one time and that's it. No, you got to deal with it every day. Now friends, don't tell me I have to preach an amen myself too this morning. I'm going to be war perm if I have to do that. Now watch Mark chapter 9 verse 38. Now look at all these preceding verses that lead to the salt doctrine. John answered him saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name. And he follow us. John? The beloved John? This is the way the beloved John was before the beloved John got the beloved Holy Ghost. We saw one casting out devils in thine name, and he followeth not us. Notice John didn't say he wasn't following Jesus. He said he wasn't following us. And if he wasn't following us, bless God, we know he wasn't right. Look at bigotry. So obstinate about our views, our opinion, me, mine. Helps take care of bigotry. Well, praise God. John answered saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him. We walked right up to him and said, What are you doing? You ain't with us, are you? Who, who gave you a fellowship card? Any of you guys recognize this man? Who, who sent this guy? Wasn't me, Peter said. Wasn't me, said Andrew. Wasn't me, said Mark. Well, what in the world are you out here doing anything for the kingdom of God? But the original salt shaker said, forbid him not. So the chosen disciple said one thing, and the master of the disciples said something totally different. Why? He was the salt. Amen. He was the salt. Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. Boys, don't you all see? You've heard my teaching on marriage and divorce. You've heard my teaching to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't you see you all like so much yourself? You boys need a good salt. (laughs) 
Now this brings to new light, I hope, the saying of being salty. What's another thing that prohibits peace? That's offenses. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Now remember, this is the same chapter. Whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck. This is a person now who intentionally casts a stumbling block or does something intentionally in front of someone to cause them to err. Oh my. Be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. Good reasons for salt. Can I go on? Farther I go, the quieter y'all get. Well, salt hurts, don't it? Woo, it hurts. Now, Jesus is going to wind up in the ultimate purpose of the salt by bringing it down to personal failures in the lust of the flesh. So from this point on, nobody need bat your eyes, say amen, ouch, oh me, or anything if you don't want to. Mark chapter 9, verse 45, and if thy foot offend thee, now you can read several verses prior to this, but to save time, notice Jesus bringing the offenses now to the body, to the flesh. So if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now we know he was not physically speaking of removing a hand, but he's pointing in a direction of the lust of the flesh. That if there is something that repeatedly bothers your flesh over and over again, sever that weakness from yourself. And listen, friend, the Holy Ghost will not do it. If a smartphone gets you in trouble, gets a dumb phone for a dummy. If the internet gets you in trouble because you browse, throw the browser and the internet out in the yard. Oh my, if thou foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter and halt into life than having two feet and be cast into hell. Apparently this is pretty serious stuff. My, end of the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. If thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. What are we talking about? Application of salt. Why? Because if your eye is offending you by looking at things you should not look at, guess what? You just forfeited your peace with God. Come on now, friends, let's just get plain because plain talk is easy understood. Any of you brothers that's fooling with pornography, any of you that's looking at trash, it don't necessarily have to be pornography. It can be false doctrine. And you're streaming from one false doctrine website to another false doctrine website, committing adultery against Christ the Word. Come on now. Well, we don't believe he's the same. We don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That is adultery against the Word of God. Amen. Then what do we need to do? We need to apply a hand to the, to the finger that moves the browser around. Amen. 
Amen. We need to apply salt to that old tongue that wants to talk about our neighbor and wants to hold a well so and so offended me. Apply salt to the offense. It'll cure it. Then what you have is when you apply the salt to the offense, the outcome and the productivity of that is peace. Oh, I don't don't go to them websites no more. Praise God. I feel so much better when I get down on my knees to pray. Because there is now for now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Boy, I used to get so mad when I said, Brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, that you know what I've done? I opened up that old wound and I laid a pound of salt on top of that old wound and said, Jesus, oh, Jesus, help me, help me, help me, help me, Jesus. Oh, God, because I used to pray for them because I was totally convinced it was them wrong, not me. I'm such a wonderful, sinless perfect little angel oh fly around us would you little holy angel come here and brush your little wings that ain't hellfire I smell on you is it is that smoke on you come on be honest like the rest of us you need help be honest like the rest of us we need salt applied to our lives What a peculiar recipe for peace. See, I got a problem with roaming eyes. Whosoever looketh upon a woman to lust after her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Pour salt in your eyes. Any of y'all ever say bad words in you as kids? I'll tell you one thing, my, my parents and grandparents back in Kentucky, they had a real recipe for doing such stuff. Y'all know what lye soap is? It was before palm olive. So when you said bad words and you said things you shouldn't have said, they'd take you out to the wash bucket and they'd take that lye soap and put it in your mouth and wash your mouth out with soap. I realize they'd be thrown in jail today for child abuse. I think they should be thrown in jail because they don't whip them. We're raising a bunch of heathens. We're raising a bunch of murderers because they don't have no discipline at home. an uncle my goodness he caught his boy sneaking behind the barn smoking rabbit tobacco he'd catch his boys saying things they shouldn't say he'd take a butcher knife he'd pull their tongue out and scrape that tongue with that knife and pour what not honey not molasses salt They were a whole lot more careful what they said next time. They, they, they were real careful about what they said. Come on, saints. 
we got our conversation we've got our thoughts we've got our confession so filled with the devil's language I'm not a good Christian I'll never make it I'll never be in the rapture or oh, you need to get that trash out of your mouth your confession needs to be I am saved I am called I am elect I am bride I'm going in the rapture This is the kind of preaching that got Brother Gene Terrell ready for meeting the Lord. <laughs> kind of going to get you and I ready too. If thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye. Now we know there ain't going to be no one-eyed people in heaven. But Jesus is showing us the value. You imagine removing one of your eyes? He said, this is how important it is when you've got things in you that take away your peace. Well, there's peace between you and God. Or peace between you and your brothers. Or you and your wife. Notice in verse 48, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. And then Jesus says, verse 49, which is one of the most debated verses in the entire canon of Scripture. That theologians try to this very day to even understand the concept of it. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Then he says, salt is good. So when y'all leave church, they say, how is church? Salt is good. Just tell them salt is good. I say, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, salt is good. But if the salt has lost his saltness. Let me read you this. I found this in history a little bit to be able to show you. The salt from the marshes and lagoons or from the rocks in the neighborhood of the Dead Sea easily acquires a stale and alkaline taste because of the mixture of the world. I mean, Jimson. It is literally good for nothing but to be thrown away and trampled underfoot. Can you imagine the Lord Jesus now giving us this command of all the great things he said, love one another and forgive and do this. And then Jesus comes, Brother Joe, and inserts this command, have salt in yourselves. This is not an option like power windows on your car. This is a command. The same God that said love one another and pray for one another said have salt. You see, the salt is the power of God. It's amazing what salt can do. Salt is so powerful that with the energy released out of its chemical makeup that you pour just a right amount of salt on a piece of meat, ham meat, buffalo, whatever it was before we had freezer packs and all that sort of thing, how would our, our fathers, our ancestors, and grandmothers, and so on keep their meats? 
Salt. For months on end, they didn't have a Ziploc package. They didn't have vacuum packed, but they kept them with what? Salt. I was that our apostolic fathers were kept. They, didn't, they wouldn't vacuum rack Christians. They wouldn't cellophane Christians. They were kept with salt. They were rugged. You ever take a bite of old ham meat? It's got that salt in it. You know what salt can do? A little bit of salt on a piece of flesh can actually transform that flesh and impart to that flesh a power that takes on the very nature of the salt itself. Imagine the ham said, don't do that, don't do that. I don't like salt, I don't like salt. And you say, shut up. And you rub it all over it and you lay it there. And in no time, the power in that salt has changed that flesh to taste like salt. And the flesh is saying, I don't want to, I don't want to. And the salt said, it's too late now, buddy. I've done been applied to your life. It's token time. I don't want to go to church. You're going anyhow. I don't feel like praying. You're praying anyhow. I don't want to worship. You're worshiping anyhow. Some of us might ought to check our personal shakers and make sure you've got salt in yours instead of sugar. Because we like to baby our flesh I'm too tired to worship. You're pouring sugar on your flesh. Oh, I'm too tired. Oh. I don't feel anything, Brother Donnie. I don't have to feel anything to worship. Brother Donnie, if I felt it the way you do. What? So you think every time I preach, I'm just covered over with this feeling? You think every time I go pray for people, every time I do funerals, every time I go visit the city, you think I'm just walking around with this feeling? Most of the time I'm walking around feeling nothing. You think I'm feeling something from the top of my head to the soles of my feet every time I preach to you? No. I am anointed to preach. I am anointed to worship. I am anointed to sing. I am anointed to pray. That has nothing to do with feeling. Some of you are waiting on feeling. You need to wake up and realize I'm not going to worship God because of feeling. You see, salt has purifying characteristics and traits. Cleansing traits. <laughs> it will help purify you from selfish sins. It helps do away with self. Because salt contains this power of self-denial. You love him. Jesus says, well, Wes, will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace 
one with another. Oh, it's amazing that salt can take this piece of meat that come off of a 500-pound Yorkshire hog. And then this other piece of meat come off of a 250-pound other kind of hog. And then, oh, here's another piece of meat that come off of a little old skinny hog. And all of them fall under the power of that salt it transforms them all, yes. keeps them all, yes. and they all taste like the salt. Yes. Well, I don't do this and I don't do that. You ain't been baptized in salt enough yet. You need to get your brain baptized in salt. You need to get your feelings baptized in salt. You need to get your opinions baptized in salt. Then you won't look at how big you are, how little the person is beside you. But you'll look at one thing. Thank God we're all kept by salt. This is what gives the body peace. Well, praise God. Let me see if I can find a place to close here. I've got to hurry. Leviticus 2.13. Every oblation of thy meat offering shalt thou season with salt. Neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from thy <laughs> so here comes a man to bring a meat offering a peace offering a trespass offering every offering is to be seasoned with salt so your soul offered to God salt your spirit offered to God salt your meat offering Offered to God with salt. And God even goes ahead and calls it the salt of the covenant of thy God. To be lacking from thy meat offering and from thine offering shalt thou offer salt. Notice, Numbers 18, 19. All the heave offerings of the holy things which the children of Israel offer unto the Lord have I given thee and thy sons and thy daughters with thee by statue forever. It is a covenant. Of salt. Forever before the Lord unto thee. Second Chronicles 13.5 Ought ye to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever. Even to him and to his sons. By a covenant of salt. Don't you understand why God still needs salt-shaking preachers? How many preachers won't put you in the rapture? Molasses bucket preachers won't put you in the rapture. You need some salt-shaking men of God. Praise be to God. Hallelujah. Can you imagine this is the covenant which the Lord gave to David? Many of the countries to this very day, when they go to ratify a covenant, they will sit down and eat 
salty meat together. Or they will take a sprinkle of salt. You and I agree to do this? Yes, yes, you agree? Yes, I agree. Take the salt, sprinkle it on each other. Now, those of you who don't want to be sprinkled with salt, don't worry about your covenant. Come on, friends. We don't want to be popsicle Christians. We want to be salty Christians. Let's stand. It's kind of hard to clap them stubs, ain't it? I guarantee you one thing, when we walk that day and we face that change and you realize you've made it, you'll be looking for me. You'll be looking for these other men of God that did not spare you, that told you the truth. You'll be looking for us to hug our necks and say, thank you, man of God. Thank you for telling me the truth. You can see why most folks will not have peace in this world. You can see why a lot of folks in church won't have it. A lot of families won't have it. It's not worth the sacrifice. I have to give up my idea, my opinion, my, 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 me, 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 me. Let me just be honest with you. I have a really hard time getting around folks that all they want to talk about is I'm going to talk about where they've been, where they're going, what they think, this, 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 this. And, you know, I, I know I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a low-keyed individual. I'm a worthless sort of a guy. I'm not an exciting type of a person. I'm not a great person. I'm a nobody, really. Just nobody. Just scum up off the earth. Dust, that's all. And I realize there's nothing about me, really, that's worth talking about. But what I don't understand is another pile of dirt that was scraped off the other side of where I come up. And they think they're worth the whole conversation. Two hours later, you're still hearing about how great their dust pile was. I have a problem with that. I need more salt. I only know of one person, one person, just worth spending two hours talking about. And as much as I love my wife, my wife, it's still a human. My daughters, my granddaughters, you, my precious friends. There's only one person, one, that should be the focus of all of our conversation. We need more salt. Now remember, this is like we read last week about peace, you allowing peace. Let this mind be in you. Allow peace to be the umpire of your heart. Let salt be in your life. God presents it to us, sets the shaker before us as it were. And this is where your free moral agency kicks in. I think he's too stern. I, 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 don't, I, I personally just don't think that we need that kind of preaching. And, and how many sermons have you preached? Ah. Oh. Your record ruins you. <laughs> Salt me, Lord. Salt me. 
If my eye offends me, I'm going to get rid of it. My hand, my foot, my thumb. All of us to give our feet away, our toes away, everything away except that tongue. We'll hold on to that last one. May God help us. Can you say amen today to the truth? God bless you. Let's bow our heads together. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father, that it help us to be able to take this, Lord. Wow, this went so different than I thought it was going to. My. It was kind of stinging and kind of burning along, Lord. Oh, when you showed me this, I was just rejoicing and I was just so happy and I just knew everybody was going to be so happy, but they don't look so happy. But Father, I pray that you would help us as we meditate on it and think about it, Lord. Let it produce in us your desired traits and characteristics, Father. Forgive us of our failures, Lord. Our old flesh needs to be salted with the salt of perseverance, the salt of self-denial, the salt of the value of peace, that we value peace more than we value our opinions. Help us, Lord. Forgive us, Jesus, for our bigotry. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to be more like the original salt shaker. How many like to be remembered today before the Lord in prayer? You just be honest, Lord. I need more of your salt in my life. Would you just lay your hand over on the person standing by you? Let's just offer prayer there for each other. Lord Jesus, may your presence, I pray, just help each of us here today. Fathers, they have their hands laid upon another, no doubt. Brothers with offended hands and sisters with offended eyes and whatever more about us, Lord. But may the salt of the Holy Ghost go through this body, saturate us, whether we're big, little, small, indifferent, doesn't matter. The salt will release to all of us the same power. And it has the ability to transform us and even bring our bodies subject to the Word. It's a miracle, Lord. To look at an unconverted human body can come under the influence of the Holy Ghost insomuch that it quickens our mortal body to the Word. Praise God. Salt us today, Jesus. Salt us with love, with mercy, with the value of peace. We love you, Father. Thank you, dear God. In Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. I love you in the Lord. this little course this morning just put a little worship a little praise on what's been spoken this morning oh i give myself away i give myself away so you can use me i give myself away
information in the library if you'd like to go to that just remember that let's just sing this today as we go as you're dismissed this morning will take my heart